We continue this morning with our study in the book of Acts. Again, only three uh, sermons in. We're going to move pretty quickly, but of course that's hard to believe given the fact that we're in the third sermon on like the first six verses. Uh, We started this with uh, a recognition that there is fundamentally a revolution that is beginning. It's a revolution of life. When Jesus is raised from the dead and the powers of darkness and death are defeated... Though they remain on the field, they are a defeated enemy, and the revolution has begun, and those things which seem to be the most powerful entities in the world are being undone, are being slowly undermined. And so whether it is a geopolitical thing like the Roman Empire, which slowly is becoming undermined by the work of the kingdom to such a degree that Christianity is a force to be reckoned with within 300 years without ever picking up a sword, but doing acts of radical mercy and care, being the first ones to the trash heap, where again, in Rome, you couldn't abort a baby, but you could toss them on the trash heap. And the Christians were the ones that tried to beat the slavers to those children so that they might give them lives of freedom. We undermine the powers and principalities by doing the work of the kingdom, and we have to recognize all the time that this is fundamentally revolution against the powers of darkness and death that would seek to control and dominate and oppress. And we then looked last week at where the power comes from to begin this revolution. The kingdom of God is declared. It is an earthly kingdom. It's not just ethereal, spiritual kingdom. It is God coming to earth. It is the Lord's prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But of course, how do we do that? And last week, Steve talked about the power of the Holy Spirit being the means by which God turns us into kingdom agents, that we begin to follow the works of our big brother and that Jesus is manifested through us by the Holy Spirit. It is the power that radically transforms the way in which we can serve the world around us. Something changes at Pentecost. Steve rightly said it's not that there wasn't the Holy Spirit's presence before, but something changes The radical nature of that outpouring creates a community of faith empowered to undo in ever greater degrees the power of evil and death. And so we talk about this sermon series being this revolution on the wind because as difficult as it is for Presbyterians to acknowledge it is the uncontrollable spirit of God that is not contained simply in our orthodoxy and our structures and our ecclesiology But the Spirit blows where it wills, and it is our great pleasure to be blown along with Him, that we might be a part of the kingdom of God moving forward. And so this morning we're going to look at then, well, when will this all end? Because to some degree, the disciples want to know, when is the kingdom going to come to its fruition and its fullness? So we're going to look at their question this morning and some of the ways in which it is answered by Jesus' somewhat cryptic uh, but uh, well-known uh, response. I don't know what I put in the bulletin, but I'm going to read uh, a few verses starting uh, at uh, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, 
he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait until the gift of my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be made my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes. And the cloud hid him from their sight. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we have been encouraged as we have heard testimony this morning of your healing power in lives by the work of your Holy Spirit, by the kingdom of our King breaking loose into families' lives here in Newburgh. We pray that again, as we go to your word, we might be encouraged and challenged that we might grow again in our knowledge of who you are and who you created us to be. May we find comfort in that, Lord, and may anything that's said this morning that is not true be quickly forgotten. In Christ's name, amen. We talk a lot about the good news, the gospel. We actually talked about this in the leadership class yesterday. How do we define gospel? And we live in an era and a time very, very significantly impacted by one particular view of the gospel, which is the good news that Jesus died for your sins. If you believe in him, you will not die, but you'll go to heaven or you will have eternal life. And that tends to be in large swaths of uh, our country's understanding of Christianity, the totality of the gospel. The challenge is that for Jesus, he begins talking about the gospel as something that transforms the very world itself, that a new kingdom is coming that is so amazing, so transcendent, so other than what we are, the natural question goes, how on earth can I live there because I have none of those qualities? right? I, le- I read through the Sermon on the Mount and I'm thinking, that would be great. I could not live in a place where even my own thoughts of anger is, par- you know, is tantamount to wanting my brother or sister dead. I don't have the ethical or moral qualities to live in the world that Jesus is talking about. And therefore, the gospel comes in its next phase, which is this is how you get into the kingdom. I am telling you that my ethics, my world, my character is going to break loose in my creation again. And your right response is, my stars, I will be swept away. And Jesus says, no, I provide a way into the kingdom. You will be safe in my kingdom because of what I'm going to do on your behalf. The gospel really has those two components. The good news is the ethics and the quality and the character of God that has seemed to be distant after the fall. The power of death and sin seemed to be stronger than the power of life and light. And now Jesus is saying, I am reestablishing my kingdom in power. I've given hints of it before. There was hints of it in Israel. There were hints of it in the Old Testament. But now in power, the quality and ethics, the character of God, of life and light, will break loose in the world. And so the way in which the disciples 
are wrestling with Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom, they understand that the resurrection now has happened and they have this expectation then of what the kingdom will look like. And it's not simply political. It is a question of now. Will you bring the kingdom? Will our labors against sin and death be at an end? Will you bring the fullness of who and what you are in the world now? And Jesus' response is, you have work to do, and I have work to do. And the time at which that work will cease is known only to the Father. But I will give you the power to do and to be a part of bringing the kingdom that I've already declared. And so part of the answer, I suppose I could cut this sermon really short, is that it's the classic already and not yet. That Jesus' resurrection proves that the kingdom is not just a statement that Jesus made early in his gospel ministry, but that it is established by his resurrection. And that our means of participation in it come at the day of Pentecost. It is as if when he ascends, that he doesn't leave and go to a different realm per se, but perhaps if we were to imagine it more in the understanding that he went to the capital, that he has this vast kingdom, vast empire, and yes, we are in some of the outlying regions, but we are no less in the kingdom. They may be the fringes that feel some Uh, somewhat less like the capital city. But again, all of the language here that the scholars tell us that Jesus is using and that Luke uses in in transcribing the story is of the good news of an emperor being established. And so whether that's at Jesus' birth or the proclamation of the good news of his resurrection, it's the same kind of Greek language utilized to declare that a new emperor was sitting in Rome. And you took that as good news because, by and large, chaos is bad. And whatever nuttiness had gone on in Rome, somebody had finally arisen to the top and there was going to be some measure of peace. Even if the emperor never came to your town, it was good news. And partly what then you would be encouraged to do by the heralds is to prepare, should the emperor ever show up and say, well, look, we have embodied Who and what you are. We built these amazing temples to your uh, effigy and we've done all of these works so that when the emperor came, he would feel like we'd been preparing for his return. Jesus pulls all of that imagery in, establishing himself as the greater king with the expectation that he reigns and rules now and that he will return to see what we've done in our little part of his kingdom, in line with who and what he is, using the gifts and the resources that he has poured out on us. It is not true that the chaos we see is proof that Jesus is not reigning. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He is firmly established. And so whatever Jesus is saying here when he says the time and the place of the kingdom's fulfillment and fullness, he's not talking about whether or not He is in charge, that he rules and reigns even now. But he is returning. And in the meantime, we are, as he says, to serve as his witnesses. So when we think about 
preparation for the end of these things, it can't be in line with the idea that if we just hold on and avoid enough difficulties and survive, that He'll show up and take us to heaven or save us from this rather drab life. It's not how the disciples responded. They responded as resurrection people with great hope that evil and death could be driven back, that the power of the witness was we have seen the one true God act in and through the world, and one of the first things that happens is after the Pentecost, after the amazing sermon that Peter gives, they're walking by the temple and they heal someone. They give the work of life and dignity and wholeness to this person. That is as much a part of their witness as Peter's sermon. They go hand in hand. The proclamation of the word in deed and in speech. We live, as the disciples did, as if Jesus is king. Not wondering if someday he will come back to be king, but since our God reigns. Interestingly enough, I love all of those songs. I went through a bunch of them. Too many of them are hoping someday that it's somewhere else that God reigns. And we are called to be people who firmly believe that he reigns right here. And therefore, we can act with confidence in the Holy Spirit in line with who he is. What does it mean to live like he is king? I want to suggest that there's a few practical ways in which we do that this morning. Today's Earth Day. Right? I can remember that. I can't remember Mother's Day or Father's Day. But anyway, that's a whole other psychological issue. Today's Earth Day. We shouldn't pollute the earth. Why? Because we only get one. Interestingly enough. Right? If we actually... This is where bad eschatology leads to bad architecture and bad use of our resources. If you think it's all going to blow up, you do strip malls. Right? I mean, who cares? But if you think God's going to return, we care about what things look like. All of a sudden, aesthetics matter. But not just aesthetics, not just visual pollution, but also whether or not the Cuyahoga River gets lit on fire. We are stewards of this creation. Yes, they are resources to be utilized. Yes, resources are what image bearers take the raw material and stuff that's just sand, and we turn it into silicone. We do amazing things with it. We take the raw material in creation, but as stewards of it, not abusing it. Of course, we take that black stuff that used to suck dinosaurs into it and turn it into a way to become a mobile society. But in the same way, do we continue to move on and recognize that we are here as good stewards? It's not an attempt to go back to some world in which we all lived with horses or what have you. The point is, as good stewards, as those created in the image of God, do we believe that this earth as stewards and image bearers, is not simply a spiritual notion, but a physical notion. Therefore, those who work towards safe, clean drinking water, those who work towards a way in which we can live and be mobile, and yet at the same time have a less impact in certain ways on our environment, as we are stewards of this earth that God will return to, will He say, well done, good and faithful servants, in the way that we cared for creation, 
even as we were called to reign and rule over it as image bearers and as those who were called to create with the stuff that God made. I only imagine that Adam and Eve had moments with God where they would find stuff. Because you look at the passage in in Genesis chapter 2 and they would go out into the world and they were supposed to find stuff and then mess with it and bring it back. And just imagine what it's like to walk with God in the cool of the day and say, look, we found this stuff and we figured out that if we did this with it, it made a wheel or it cut down on the weight we would carry. Who knows what they were finding? They were brilliant people. And God going, absolutely, I was waiting for you to find that. You were supposed to enjoy that and make stuff with it. And I delight to see you do it. So when we talk about being good to nature and and Earth Day, it's not simply as Christians do we withdraw ourselves and try not to have an impact on creation. Of course, we were always supposed to have an impact on creation. But do we do so as good stewards who expect that this is a resource God desires for us to utilize for eternity? Or do we simply imagine that he's going to come back one day, blow it up, and give us something new? It's not an either or. Do we work in that way? Do we invest in community? Uh, Steve talked last week about the, uh, the talents invested in Matthew 25. Interestingly enough, what do you think they invested in? Now we go into banking and small loans. How did they make a return? Well, they were supposed to make a return, but they invested in something in their community, small businesses, some caravan trip. I don't know what they did, but the bottom line is they took some of the master's resources, invested it, and there was a return on it. What are we talking about doing with safe families? We're talking about taking our time, our money, and our resources, investing them in our community, and the Father will give us a return in so many different ways as life and light spreads. And, of course, the danger is when we become fearful of what the Father will do in judgment, if we are afraid of the world around us or afraid of missteps and we bury our gifts, that means the community receives no blessing from God's people. And that tends to be something that the king takes rather seriously. We invest in our communities. We invest our resources. There are people that I know that are gifted in making money in a way that I can only imagine. They seem to make one fortune after another and they try something else. It's it's, it's amazing. The question is why? It's not whether or not they should go out and make money, but why? Is it to see their communities grow or have we too often said it's for me and mine? You see, clearly this landowner, this master wanted to see his stewards investing in the community in which they lived and it prospered and it was blessed. Do we invest in our community? Do we recognize where our communities need help? The reason I looked up those statistics on poverty is I've wondered sometimes if evangelical Christians and those working against abortion might end up being like the dog who caught the car one day. What happens 
if abortion is no longer legal in our country and there's several million more children born, are we preparing to take care of the kids we already have? Is there a way in which the church... Of course, the question isn't, is abortion now an okay thing because there are several million less poor kids? Heavens no. We don't believe that. We believe every life is valuable. Every life has potential. Every life is created in the image of God. But what if in the American church where we're running on less than 33% of projected revenues because tithing is now somewhere between 26 and 3.2% and we are asking ourselves how do we serve an ever-increasing number of people who need the good news of the gospel in word and in deed and we are one of the richest countries on earth and we have some of the least amount of resources to care for those children dedicated in those needs. What happens if we catch the car? Are we prepared to handle and to care for and to love all of those wonderful children who will be born, but many of them in tragic situations of great difficulty? Are we ready for them? Are we preparing our lives and our hearts and our resources to welcome those millions of additional children when our own resources right now are so strained? And so many children are falling through the cracks. Are we preparing for his return? Are we preparing for what it means to be witnesses to the goodness of God? We have great opportunity. Great opportunity to work as if the kingdom is already here. Yes, Jesus will come back and he will fulfill all of his promises. But we have the great privilege by the Holy Spirit to be engaged as his witnesses, saying, I've seen life spread. Let me tell you about this kingdom and its ethic. Let me tell you about its God who loves his people so much that he gave his own life that they might have life. That is the reason why I'm able to give some life to you, to care for you in your time of need, and you to care for me the resources of the Holy Spirit poured out generously in order that when the King returns and we go up to meet Him, to usher Him back to His realm and reign, that He might delight in us and delight in what we've done with the resources that He's given us, that we are a part of the answer. When does the kingdom come? And Jesus says, you are my agents to bring it. You are the kingdom in and through this world. You are the proof that life and goodness and righteousness are winning and will always win, ultimately and eternally. That God has blessed us first by saving us and giving us an intimate relationship with Him. That we might be intimately connected to His kingdom and its needs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we are grateful Grateful for opportunity, grateful for resources, grateful, Lord God, that even as we see situations as overwhelming, you simply ask us to take the next step of faith. Lord, may we see you leading us in these small things, that we might have confidence and peace that all of the big things are firmly and well in your hands, that we might rest even this morning in the goodness of our God. We pray that.